please turn with me to Acts chapter 5, verses um, 1 through 11. You can also follow along in your bulletin on page 7. Now a man named Ananus, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest of it and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananus, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and kept for yourself some of the money you received from the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananus heard this, he fell down and died. In great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then the young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in. Not knowing what had happened, Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananus got for the land? Yes, she said. That is the price. Peter said to her, How could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. As I introduced myself earlier, my name is Andrew, one of the pastors here at Metro. Now, we've been going through a sermon series on the book of Acts and about what it means to be missional. The book of Acts teaches us uh, that, uh, teaches us or shows us what a church will look like when the gospel takes a hold of her. And things are going well because uh, Acts 1, Jesus rose from the dead and spent 40 days, 40 nights with the disciples, teaching them about the kingdom of God. Afterwards, he, he ascends into heaven, but the Holy Spirit comes down, dwells with the disciples, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, thousands and thousands of people are being converted. It went from 150 to 3,000 to 5,000 and probably many more. They devoted themselves to the fellowship, to oneness, to unity. But, Acts 5 verse 1. Now, it's translated as now, but it could also be translated as but. But, everything was going well, but... There's an interruption, a pause. The context is very important for us to note here. Uh, basically, it's in between two brackets or two bookends. Acts 4, verse 31, it says that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And Acts 5, verse 12 through 16, is about this Holy Spirit's, his miraculous power. So, you know, there's unity. It was, it, there's a continuation of the unity of the church. But there's like a, there's an interruption, there's a pause. That's Acts 5. So what does that mean? Because this is the first time the author of Acts, Luke, mentions any conflict of the church. God is actually trying to teach us something here. God is trying to um, let us know that there's something that's really dangerous. There, there, there are things that could divide the church, that could split the church. And I mean, today, there are churches uh, that are divided across the board throughout the country, throughout the world. Some of you guys probably experienced it. Maybe you guys grew up in a church that, is, uh, that went on a split. Or some of you guys probably 
uh, experienced a bad community. Well, thank God for today's passage because God has gifted us for us so that we could take it in, see, identify, guard against the enemy and the enemy within. So I got three points for us today. Three questions that I'm going to answer. One, what divides the church? Two, why does that divide the church? Three, who can heal the church? What divides the church? Why does it divide it? Who can heal it? First point, what divides the church? There, there are a number of things that you guys could think of, like a list, what divides the church. But at least according to our text today, there are three things that divide the church. First, what divides the church is divided people like Ananias and Sapphira. To give you even more context, a couple verses before our passage today, Acts 4, 36-37, it says this. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So Joseph, his nickname was Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Think about how generous, think about what kind of person you must be to have that type of nickname. So Joseph gave up his land, he sold it and brought it and placed it in front of the apostles' feet. And then the next verse is our verse, Acts 5 verse 1, it says, now or but a man named Ananias, together with his wife, Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. Mm. Verse 2, with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, brought the rest, and put it at the apostles' feet. All right? So Ananias, he sold, he kept back, brought, and put it. Essentially, what Ananias did was he sold the property, right? He got some certain amount of money. We don't know how much, but he got a certain amount of money, but he kept back a portion of it and brought the leftover, the discounted price to the apostles. If you didn't know any better, Ananias probably looked just as generous as Joseph, just as sacrificial, just as encouraging. But deep down inside, he's nothing but a crook, a liar, a deceiver. This is a small picture of what is happening in Ananias' heart. The disintegration of his soul. See, Joseph has integrity, but Ananias didn't. The word integrity comes from the root word integer, which means one or whole. Okay? Look at Ananias' action. He is not a whole person. On one hand, he wanted to appear like Joseph, someone extremely generous, but on the other hand, he's not ready to give as Joseph did. Ananias wanted Joseph's reputation, but not his sacrifice. So, it's a dilemma here. Two conflicting values. What does he do? He lies about it. He covers it up. So, Ananias is not a man with in- integrity. He split. Disintegration. Friends, how, how close are we to the inner spirit of Ananias? Because some of us are more interested in the reputation of moral integrity than moral integrity itself. Some of us are more interested in the reputation of radical generosity than radical generosity itself. 
Some of us are more interested in the reputation of being a good Christian than being a good Christian. So let's go back. What does Ananias do? He sold, he kept back, brought the rest, the leftover, and placed it at apostles' feet. So some of you in the church, you may have sold your old lifestyle, came back to the church, but you still kept back your old habits, and you brought what you thought would make you look like a good person, a changed person, to put that in front of God and other people. Some of you in the church may have made significant sacrifices. You sold your time, efforts, labor into serving and supporting, but you kept back your ego and pride and brought your performance, your self-righteousness before God. Some of you in the church sold your wealth. Maybe you do give generously, but you kept back the things you really treasure and brought the surplus, the, the things that don't hurt to give because it's not a sacrifice before God. Some, for some of you, maybe giving money and time is not, it's not that hard. Maybe it's easy, but giving up certain friends or certain relationships or your comfort is not something you're willing to give up just yet. Friends, what are you willing, what are you keeping back for yourself? Is it wealth, certain relationship, your social acceptance, your comfort, whatever it is, that one thing is an indicator that you have a disintegrated soul and it hurts the church. First thing. Secondly, what divides the church is divided people who are filled with, the Satan's, with Satan's eyes rather than the Holy Spirit. Uh, more context, Acts 4, 31. It says that the disciples' hearts were filled with the Holy Spirit. But verse 3, it says that Peter, Peter addresses Ananias as saying that you have filled your heart with Satan and his lies and his junk. And this is interesting because Peter is mentioning Satan, and rightfully so, because Satan is the enemy of the church. Satan is always at work. Satan, whenever we sin, whenever bad things happen, he's always orchestrating and feeding this type of disaster. So just like Judas who betrayed Jesus, Satan was feeding lies to Ananias and he was listening to him. We don't want to overemphasize satanic work, but we have to talk about it because he's the great enemy of the church. He loves division. He will do whatever he can to damage the church or ruining the people who make up the church. But what Satan does is he uses what's already in us to make us act on what our hearts naturally wants. He nudges us in the direction that we're already going, meaning we're already on that path. He just accelerates it. Left alone, we're gonna listen to him. Left unchecked, we'll become more like him. Lying and deceiving rather than being like Christ. Being filled with the Holy Spirit. The question is, Will you listen to the community when they speak into it? When the community speaks into you, will you listen to the people around you, your friends? Because Satan will tell you exactly what you want to hear. A good gospel-centered community will tell you what you need to hear. If you don't listen to the community, which is empowered by the Holy Spirit, it's going to create division. Thirdly, what divides the church is not 
lack of giving, but lying about how much you give. Okay, from my studies, Ananias and Sapphira, uh, they're pretty wealthy. They probably gave a lot. Think about it. They wanted a reputation of being, uh, you know, like, like Joseph, an encouragement. So they probably gave a very big sum of money, right? And they were wealthy. So, you know, the text didn't provide a specific number, but it was enough where an ordinary person would, would probably have been impressed by it. So what's the, what's the issue? Verse 4, it says, it, well, Peter tells us the issue. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. See, God wasn't asking Ananias and these people to give up everything. Apostles weren't asking that. We're, you, know, you know, God wasn't asking people to become homeless. What the generosity that, you know, the radical generosity that produces was by the Holy Spirit working in their hearts. So what was Ananias doing? He was just trying to look a certain way. So the sin is Ananias was trying to cover one sin with another sin. The sin is that he was trying to cover up one sin, which is love of money, protecting his heart for acceptance and approval, and was hiding his false pretenses, his agenda, with his lies. The interesting thing here, friends, is that Ananias was actually part of the group, though. He didn't have to lie. Think about it. Thousands and thousands of people were converted. There's no way the apostles would have known everybody's name. There's some of y'all probably didn't even meet one another. So, and some of y'all thought, you know, I was a newcomer. I'm Andrew, by the way. But Peter knew Ananias and Sapphira. Peter knew them. So they were part of the inner circle. They were part of the community. Yet, look at how blind Ananias is. He saw what they saw so clearly without seeing anything at all. He experienced what they experienced but never truly experienced it. So, so this is a warning to all of us. We could hang around, serve and even give like genuine believers around us, yet never be genuine believers. What threatens the church's unity and divides the church are Ananias in the church. How do you know you're like Ananias? You know you're like Ananias if you hang out with gospel-loving people, but in, real- in reality, you don't love the gospel. Some of you like to articulate theology so that you may appear as if you know, but it doesn't shape your character. It doesn't, it doesn't grow your love for Jesus. It doesn't move you personally. You know you're like Ananias if you're around people who have experienced gospel transformation in the heart but have never experienced it yourself. Like I said, gospel transformation can only happen within through the Holy Spirit. You're like Ananias if you surround yourself with people with great integrity but do not practice it. Instead of being a whole person, you just have a hole in your heart. Therefore, If you are committed to the life of the church, but not growing in your integrity, giving, and your personal intimacy with God, you might not be a Christian. You're lying about your faith, and you're just trying to cover it up. That's what divides the church. What divides the church are divided people who are filled with the Satan's lies, with Satan's lies, and who just wants to cover things up, 
Because in the end, that type of building just breaks down. So, some of you guys are wondering, what does that have to do with dividing the church? I mean, I guess saying he's the enemy, he wants to divide the church. What does my individual sin have to do with the division? I'm glad you asked. Point number two, why does it divide the church? Verse seven, it says, about three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. So narrative continues, basically what happens. Peter confronts uh, Sapphira. Is this the price? Context will show you or tell you that it's the price that Ananias brought, the discounted, uh, the price that he, you know, that he brought, the leftover. And, and so Peter is pretty much trying to give her a chance to come clean. But Sapphira still lied. She still said, yeah, that is the price. What does Peter say? Peter said to her, how could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? How could you have agreed to test the spirit of the Lord? Now, testing the spirit is an expression that echoes in the Old Testament passages. One example comes from Joshua 7.1, and it reads like this. But Israelites acted unfaithfully in regard to the, to the devoted things. Achan took some of them, so the Lord's anger burned against Israel. I'm going to read that verse one more time because I think it's very important. But the Israelites acted unfaithfully in regards to the devoted things. Achan took some of them. If you're like me, you're probably, I mean, I don't know. When I read that, I was like, that doesn't make sense. Achan is the one that sinned. Achan is the one that took, hold, held back. Achan is the one that tested the spirit of the Lord. Why does it say that the Lord was angry with Israel? Why does it say that the Israelites acted unfaithfully? Well, back then, the individuals were part of the family, right? Uh, even today. So, but back then, uh, they were so closely intertwined, uh, uh, connected, that when one person sinned, it affected the whole village. Or, you know, it's, it's kind of like um, uh, a disease. If it affects one person, it affects everyone. So even though Achan was the one who lied, it affected the whole Israelites. And this actually, it actually makes more sense if you apply it in our own daily lives. You know, growing up, if your parents didn't, uh, didn't make a lot of money, it affected you. If you, didn't, uh, if you did something terrible that affected your parents, by association, if you're part of a group that is known for, uh, you know, being a selfish, deceitful group, you may be portrayed that way. The church back then was so intimately connected to one another that, and to Jesus, that Jesus called the church his body. So like a body, if one thing goes wrong, all things goes wrong. Think about what would happen if one organ gets damaged in your body. If your brain is dead, it doesn't matter if you have, a healthy, if you have the healthy lungs. There will be no air to breathe in and out. If you have weak lungs, the heart won't have enough oxygen to pump throughout the body. If you have a weak heart, it doesn't matter if you have a healthy kidney. It won't receive the blood for it to clean out. So, friends, just as the organs rely on each other to function well for their body, we must rely on one another. If there is no change, not only you, but the church will be disintegrated. 
Therefore, everything we do matters. And by the way, this is actually why we do corporate confession. Because we didn't just sin against God individually. We sinned against God as a church. So, what's the hope? There are a lot of cracks in the church, right? There are a lot of division. We're all divided people filled with Satan's lies at times, listening to his lies, lying about where we are. Church is filled with people like that. What could mend us together? What could make us whole again? Not what, but who. Point number three, who can heal the church? Now, I skipped verse five uh, because it reads like this. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. So, so, so Peter confronts Ananias, and then, I don't know, maybe he was shocked. He just dropped dead. And so when I first read this passage, I was like, oh, no. <laughs> this is a tough passage. But the more I digged into it, the more I read about it, it makes sense. Because the punishment of sin is always death. Ananias and Sapphira's death, you know what it was? It's just a mere, it's, it's merely a physical representation of their spiritual reality. Their death is absolutely just because they were already dead inside. Their soul is like the walking dead. They were living a life of lies, and ultimately the offense is that they, they're pretty much saying they don't need God. They need this more. So therefore, the consequences of our unrepentant sin will always lead to death. But here's the good news. Jesus saw our calloused heart and still decided to die for us. But before we go into Jesus, what he has done, you guys got to understand something here. Jesus didn't die for you because your sins were small. We kindled the wrath of God. Our sins were great. But Jesus, his love for us was greater. Verse 6, then the young man came forward, wrapped up his body, carried him out, and buried him. When you read this, doesn't this remind you of something, someone? Who does this remind you of? Who else fell down and died? Who else had young men wrapped up his body in clothes, with clothes and was carried out and buried in a tomb? Who else received the wrath of God? I mean, in our text, Ananias and Sapphira did. But John 19, it says that Joseph of Armathia and Nicodemus took Jesus' body and wrapped them up in strips of linen. It was, it was them who buried Jesus in the Joseph's tomb. Jesus is the one who fell down and died and took the whole wrath of God as Ananias and Sapphira did. But unlike them... Jesus' death was totally unjust because he was perfect and righteous. Yet, Jesus sold his righteousness but kept our broken record so that he could bring us and put us in front of God. Our record is as if we had never sinned, perfect and blameless. Jesus sold his crown but kept our enmity between God so that he could bring us and put us before God as his children, giving us a new status, a heavenly status. Jesus sold his greatest treasure but kept our sins 
so that he could bring us and put us in front of God as his treasure that he has purchased with his blood. Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe. Sin has left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. The wage of sin is death, and the debt that we owe to God was so massive that we couldn't afford it, no matter how many lands we sold. Hmm. Jesus died so that he could pay the, pay the debt that we, could, that we owe to God. So to the degree that you see Jesus and how much he gave it all for you, will be to the degree that you can give generously and be free from your fear of what people might think of you. To the degree that you see Jesus and how much he sacrificed for you will be to the degree you can sacrifice for others because your heart will be filled with his love, with the Holy Spirit. To the degree that you see Jesus as your ultimate treasure will be to the degree that you will be free from your earthly treasure. You will have a treasure that no moth and rust can destroy and thieves can come and steal. Friends, he doesn't just want your efforts, money, or service. He doesn't need it. You know what he really wants? It's you. He wants you to give up your treasure so that you can make him your ultimate treasure. His death was payment to God for his wrath against us. His resurrection was his victory against death and Satan and his reign over us. So, when he went up, the Holy Spirit came down and he's working in you, through you, and for you. And because of that, you can give so much more than you ever thought because you've seen Christ, how much he gave more than you can ever dare dream of. Allow me to close with verse 11. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. If I was the author of Luke, uh, Acts, his name is Luke, um, I probably wouldn't have put this verse in there. Why mention that there's great fear? I mean, things are going well. All you could say was, hey, sin was addressed. Well, there is a lot to be afraid of in this world. There's a great enemy ahead at odds with us. But look at Peter, how he didn't compromise the value. He addressed the sin. And the way he did that was by confronting the sin. And likewise, as a church, we're called to do the same. We must confront one another in our sins with love. And it says what? Though there was great fear, there was a whole church. In Christ, we have nothing to be afraid of. In Christ, we can be whole. In Christ, we can commit ourselves to the fellowship, work on oneness, practice giving up our earthly treasures. We can be whole again. So the question is, will you commit to the life of the church, to Christ and his mission, or are you just going to lie about it? <laughs>